today we begin a four-part series on spirituality that we're calling Deeply Rooted. We borrowed it from a book by Christopher Maracle in which he presents the spiritual life or the nurturing of your soul as having four key parts. And he begins and uses the image of a tree. Starts with the root system and then the trunk that grows from there and then the branches and then the fruit that it produces. Today we're going to focus upon the ground or the garden, the soil that's necessary to get that strong root system established. And to do so, I really like the scripture that Pastor Aaron just read to you. Uh, if we look at it again, you see some key things about God. I would suggest to you that, that while it doesn't talk directly about the importance of self-knowledge and the importance of knowing ourselves, it seems to make that indirect argument because it points out how thoroughly God knows us in each and every way. It describes how God knows our sitting down, our standing up, our comings and goings. He knows our plans, and he obviously knows our thoughts because he can say before, we even say those words ourselves as they come off our tongues. A God who knows us completely and thoroughly. And if he knows us so well, it seems that it suggests it might be helpful to us to know ourselves. So, and, and one, of the, one of the words in there that really caught my eye was that God studies us. Now, do you study people? I think I'm a people watcher. Are you a people watcher? Used to that? I'm not sure if I study people. But I do know people that do study people. And one of those persons is somebody I happen to have done the funeral for this past Monday, Ron Housewald, who was a member of my congregation down in New Albany, was there for 16-plus years. Ron is probably one of five men in my life, I'd say the five most influential men in my life. He and his wife, Mary, were like surrogate grandparents to our children. They were loving, compassionate. They had this wonderful family who would always show up on occasions as they came together, sit in the same pew in the church. They had a farm that our, our church would all go out and have an annual picnic and have a barn service. And so we have so many wonderful memories with them. But one thing about Ron and Mary was they were deeply embedded in that church. They were involved in so many things. And so Ron frequently popped into church. And I always loved when Ron would stick his head in my office. Because whenever Ron came in, it was like I was getting the pastoral call. You know how that goes. He, he'd come in and he'd, he'd ask questions. He'd want to ask, Jerry, how are you doing today? And, and if I wasn't totally honest, he could tell. You know, I might say I'm fine, but... If he sensed that I wasn't quite fine, he could read my body language or he picked up on that tone of my voice. And he'd keep asking me more questions until he really got it out of me, what's going on? And then he was always affirming, always encouraging, always promising to be there in every way possible. Matter of fact, I remember one, one great memory I shared at his funeral Monday when uh, he just had had prostate surgery. It was a couple weeks after that he was recovered and uh, he was at church. We were talking with him after church and asking lots of questions. And I was asking questions in part for my concern for Ron, but also because I'm very aware that prostate cancer impacts one in three men. And so I want to know everything I can know about that. And I'm asking questions, but, but you know, there's just some questions you don't ask. And Ron looked at me, and he could tell what question I wanted to ask. And he said, don't worry, Jerry, everything's working. Now, with most people, that'd be too much information. 
But with Ron, that was just part of his compassion. He was earthy, he was real, and that's who he was. Ron studied people. And so when I think of God studying people, I think of Ron, a God who knows us completely and thoroughly. Now, that is very important as we go to this next step. And this is one of the best things I like about the image that Christopher Miracle offers to us. He suggests that the first step in our spiritual growth, the nurturing of our soul, the deepening of our walk with God, is, is the step of self-knowledge, the awareness of what's going on inside ourselves. And he has this wonderful image, and if you remember nothing else today, really remember this image, because I think it really speaks. And, and, and what he reminds us is, is that when you dig a hole, now, uh, uh, Nancy's given me lots of practice the last two moves, digging holes. I always love it when, he said, when she says, we need to plant a tree. Because guess what? That means I get to dig a hole. And one thing you learn if you dig very many holes, that if you're digging a deep hole, the deeper you dig that hole, the wider you got to make that hole, right? Unless you got one of those post hole diggers, if you're using a spade, using a shovel, the deeper it goes, the wider you got to make that. It's true for a couple reasons. One is to get the dirt out. That's the only way you can get it out. But secondly, the bigger the shrub or the tree you're planting, the larger the root system it needs. And so that space is necessary. That loose dirt really helps those tender roots to take hold and grow and make that sturdy base. So... Miracle suggests to us that a good spiritual walk with God requires digging a wide hole, requires a certain amount of self-knowledge in order for God's transforming power to reach deeply into your life. And let me give you just a, a real concrete, practical example from my life. I remember going off to seminary. I'd majored in religion in college, so I had lots of knowledge already. I concentrated in biblical studies while I was at seminary, so I knew, I knew a lot about the Bible, theology, and so forth. But probably the most transforming experience I had at seminary was when I took a clinical pastoral education unit where I served as a chaplain, a student chaplain, in two hospitals in Marion, Ohio. And so there I had to visit patients regularly, we had to attend two sessions a week with an interpersonal group that was made up of other student chaplains and a supervisor who was trained in pastoral counseling and also uh, was trained specifically in the clinical pastoral education process. Now, the hard part about that experience was that we had to do, over the course of the summer, 14 verbatims. And verbatim, I mean, we would go visit some, uh, somebody and as soon as we finished that visit, we'd go out of the room and sit down, find some place, and write down everything you can remember about that conversation, everything they said, everything you said, as much in the order that you can remember it as you can. You type it up, make copies, and then you present it to the interpersonal group where they would read it and analyze it. Well, I tell you, that was an eye-open experience for all of us, but specifically for me, very early on, I found some things that, that were very apparent in, in my uh, situation. And one thing we noticed was that whenever feelings were expressed, 
by the patient, I would get uncomfortable. I, I wouldn't have good responses. And when those feelings became intense, I'd get out of the room as fast as I could. And there was no denying. It was right there on paper. I couldn't, I couldn't get my way out of it. And so that group helped me come to realize that in my life, in my family of origin, whenever I saw emotion expressed, it was always negative. Either my parents fighting or my mother's anxieties. And so if I couldn't fix it, I didn't know what to do with it. So the task for me all that summer was to learn to stay in the room. It just became a joke among us. Did a good job staying in the room that time, Jerry. And I learned that I didn't have to fix everything. That the most important thing I did was just walking into the room. And the better I got at just being present and listening, reflecting those feelings, I was honoring those feelings and doing the best good that I could for them. Well, that was quite an experience for me. Because in spite of having all this biblical knowledge, a lot of it wasn't doing me any good because I didn't understand myself. When I became more aware of what was going on inside of me, it made it more possible for God to bring that knowledge of him and the knowledge of myself together to truly transform me. Now, I think it's important because as I look around, I see a lot of unaware Christians. A lot of Christians who are not self-aware. I see it in Christians who are like me at that one point in my life that seem to know everything. They're know-it-alls, and they can quote Scripture right and left, but often they lack compassion and understanding for others, and they're so rigid in their thinking. I've seen it in charismatic preachers, sometimes a TV evangelist you see, who have many people following in these large churches, and then they fall from grace, end up in an extramarital affair or some other situation because they never understood how much of their own self-esteem was being drawn from the approval or power they found from other people. And even I see it in a lot of timid Christians whose self-esteem is so low. And for them, their faith is more just obedient, trying to make sure they're doing the right things. And, and, and somehow if they do enough, God will like them. And so they don't really embrace the grace of God that loves them fully, that's not dependent on what others have thought of them as they grew up. All these ways, it's so helpful for us to be aware. Now, if we break that down, we can find probably three basic things that are helpful to us to become self-aware. And one is becoming aware of those, those feelings, especially those intense feelings that get in the way of us experiencing the presence of God. Sometimes our thinking is not correct. We have a wrong view of God. It might seem as judgmental and strict and miss out on the grace that he has for us. And sometimes we have attachments that get in the way of a relationship with God. But let me say just a little bit more about feelings especially because those might be the hardest. I remember one of my first counseling sessions I attended, and I, it was a counseling group, so we'd all take time and share what was going on in our week. And uh, I went through and, and in great detail shared all that happened that week. And when I got done, one of the persons who obviously had this said to them said, okay, you just told me what you thought about your week. What did you feel about your week? And so I had to think that through and become more aware. Uh, feelings are not easy to access. One of the most helpful things for me was when I went to a marriage encounter a weekend and we were given a list of feeling words and we were taught that that almost all of our feelings could be grouped in four major categories. Mad, 
sad, glad, and scared. Can you repeat that with me? Mad, sad, glad, and scared. It's helpful to identify and label those feelings because almost every feeling we have is some variation of one of those or a combination of those, and then you help find yourself the word that most appropriately describes where you're at. Because when you label those feelings, then you, you have a little more power over them. And it's so helpful to also know that, that feelings are not good or bad. They're neutral. It's what you do with those feelings that matter. So it's not a problem to find when you got anger or some negative feelings. Embrace it, know it, let God help you with it. And attach to some experience that you might have and realize that it comes from some specific experience. When you do those things, you can begin to get that power over those feelings in your lives. And our thinking. Sometimes our thinking is so skewed. Our perception of God may not be accurate. We, we don't take the whole of Scripture. We get focused on a few passages, and so God gets pigeonholed in our minds, or, or it might reflect the kind of parenting we have received, and so that impacts our vision of, of God. It's also important that sometimes our thinking about other people needs to be corrected and changed. Sometimes we have experiences with people, and then we see people that resemble that person in, in some fashion or manner by their clothing, by their hair or whatever. We immediately label them and judge them even though we don't know them yet. And if we're to see them as God sees them, we need to become aware of those thoughts and that thinking. And that's true even for ourselves. And then the last thing would be attachments. The scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. An attachment is anything that takes an, an inordinate amount of time and energy on our part to the point that it crowds God out of our lives. And sometimes those are good things. God has created so many good things in our life, but we can become too obsessed with those good things, whether we're striving for achievement, success, wealth, and money, those things sometimes, when they go out of proportion, get in the way of the God who gives us the true sustenance in our lives. So, if we come back to that analogy, if we become aware of our feelings, our thoughts, our attachments, it's important to, to realize that when you've dug that hole wide, what you've done is you've enabled God to enter more deeply into your life. And what's critical to understand is not so much that God comes in and takes the negative away or replaces all those bad feelings. Often those still persist. If you allow me to come back to my, my story of my CPE unit, you know, sometimes I still have a few situations that trigger those feelings. There are still times I want to run out of the room. It may not be a hospital room, but it might be in my office. It might be a committee meeting I'm in. It might be a phone call I've gotten from somebody that's not happy with me. And it's easy to want to run. But now that I'm more aware, I can choose in those circumstances to ask God to come in. And, and because he's with me, he gives me the strength to, to stay in that room, to stay in that situation, to stay in that conversation. And when I do so, it blesses that experience and becomes another way that God's built my character, made me a little stronger, made me a little more compassionate and more loving in that process. 
And here's the best news, which our scripture pointed out today. And it's the fact that God already knows us. God already knows every flaw we've got. He already knows every negative feeling we have and those thoughts that need corrected. And he still loves us. And so because of that, it's more easy for us to examine ourselves and to share our anxious thoughts with him and let him enter into our experience in every way. So I encourage you, dig the hole wide because then God will be able to dig it deeper. And you invite God in to bring that redemptive magic that he has to redeem every aspect and part of our lives that we have.